Hello, and welcome to the Wonderland Exhibition Podcast with me, your host, Doug Burton. I'm an artist and educator in the creative arts. Each episode will be a short conversation with a participating artist considering their work, intentions for the show, and anything that emerges in between. The Wonderland Exhibition will take place from the 1st of July to the 5th of August 2023 at the Tremonier Sculpture Gardens in Cornwall. The exhibition shows new sculptures from the Southwest about landscape and walking from members of the Royal Society of Sculptors, with assistance from Penzance-based writer Martin Holman. Hi, Ros Bergen. It's great to meet with you today. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks very much for inviting me to your podcast. Brilliant. Well, I'm hoping that we can have a really interesting conversation today about your thoughts for your work and how it engages the public. But I wanted to start by asking you what your initial thoughts were on Tremonier and whether it was a particular aspect of the gardens or the surrounding area or something to do with the theme of the show that, that captured your attention. I think my initial sort of interest in it was was seeing the location of Tremon here being on this pilgrim route for one thing, but equally it's this magical sort of association with um, St Michael's Mount, which is viewable from it. Um, ever since I was about ten, I've had a picture, an engraving of St Michael's Mount, and it's just this sort of mystical aisle almost. So there'd always been this thing of of this this strange one. Then equally, the French have got one too, the Mont Saint Michel. And you think these two little little outcrops that create a sort of a zone of interest around them that become places that people have always, I suppose, um, ended up visiting for um, other sensitive um, reasons. You know, so it's you know they're special places for a variety of reasons, not only for religious people, but also you know for people to visit these sort of little outcrops that are just sitting there off our coast equally balanced either side of the channel so yeah so I was very interested in that particular spot equally um, what Neil Armstrong has done with that space the way he's created a sculpture garden and very much in the vein of Hannah Pesha when she was I think one of the first people to create a sculpture garden as a way of displaying sculpture outside of a gallery and it was a place where planting was as equally important. So what the actual patch of land did was as equally important as, as what you placed with them um, within it. So I think there's those things very interesting. But equally, it's the fact that it's located in Cornwall, which was um, a county I was very interested in because it has the longest coastline of any county that we have in Britain. And this direct connection with the sea is really interesting for me from a mapping point of view. When you look at um, flat maps of the world, you see this sort of little edge where land is sort of ends and the sea begins and the sea is uncharted territory and the land has a lot of information written over it. Whereas the way I look at it, it's like the sea is 71% of the planet and the most interesting, diverse, large space that we have, as opposed to the little patches of land that we've scribbled all over and messed up in one way or another or fought over so it's a sort of perspective within that that area so that that's it I, just it was an ideal patch really to do something about that space and explore that land and that piece of land that juts out so much from our from the rest of Britain. That leads me on to thinking about your work for the show and this um, you've brought up mapping and obviously geography How's that sort of led into your work for the show, just thinking about that? Well, if we're thinking that the theme is about walking, wandering, wandering the land, um, it's in a way that's a sort of a larger way of saying mark making. 
you know, where you go and your passage across somewhere, although it might be the slightest trace and it might be temporary, but you do leave a trace in a physical sense on, on what you travel over. But equally, you've got a kind of, I suppose, the psychic um, trace that you've left as well. You've got a kind of like um, sort of a different sort of emotional response to where you are, which you can notice or not notice in varying degrees, depending on, on why you're out walking. But for me, it was really thinking of it as being a mark making situation. And you can understand mark making in quite a general sense of it not being a line on paper, but more of a passage across something, which is what a mark is, really. It's leading you somewhere from one place to another in a circuitous way, perhaps. So it was taking those sort of ideas of mark making and expanding it to be you know releasing us from the land or the sea surface where we're sort of bound to those sort of edges if you like or the top of something and if you take an overview let's say that you could fly as a bird so you could just lift yourself up so you could then see the whole of Cornwall at that distance what does that thing uh, look like and feel like and how does that then relate to the rest of the world and the rest of geography so I thought by creating that perspective from putting the whole of that quite long piece of land into a couple of meters on a wall in a gallery that's already doing something because you've already you know taken quite a, a leap away from where you are so you can look at it differently i chose this material though very particularly because um, some material is used vehicle tires that have already been turned into something else and used by a whole other industry which is the trawling fishing industry so they've cut circular forms with a center and then they string um, these almost like mini tires yet again so they're sort of reducing a tire into a mini tire and then they string it along the bottom of the trawl net so that when they drag these nets across the ocean floor, those little pieces of rubber tyre help the net to roll along the ground and roll over rocks and obstacles, etc. I like the idea that the material has already got this previous life of having basically left marks across um, tarmac and non-tarmac roads as well, sort of across spaces on the land by its, its printerly imprint. Also, when it drives through water, you know, you see these these little residues and also then the part of the rubber that it's left everywhere. And then it's gone across the seabed in a similar way, which, OK, the seabed is wet on, on top. But, you know, you're kind of looking at the fact that we've got these patches of land, but they're all connected down beneath the water. So you're really looking, in, in my opinion, you're in starting to engage with the world as a whole rather than these isolated patches of, of stuff that you go to or you ignore. Um, sense of identity from the materials that are brought in by what you know it has done already but then equally it's really interesting for me to put um, used rubber into the um, gallery space because that then sticks it into the hierarchy of materials um, it puts it straight into the discussion of what fine art does and doesn't do and various art movements as well connects with arte povera which was um, last century mid-century movement through the italians where they started addressing the hierarchy of materials but then at the same time what they were doing then was looking very differently at everything rather than just simply saying we're just challenging on one front so by putting these bits of used rubber in the gallery, it's allowing a visitor to encounter them, to wonder about them and what, you know, what they're for, but then to start thinking about why is a dirty piece of old tyre here in an artwork and what's it doing? 
So I feel it starts to introduce a dialogue about uh, sort of rubber pollution, really, which back into the science of it, there's 60% rough. I mean, tyres are very complex, fantastically made things nowadays, but the rubber portion of them, about 60% is synthetic rubber and 40% natural rubber. And natural rubber takes over 100 years to degrade on its own. The pollution problems we have from materials derived from the fossil fuel um, that we use nowadays, almost like they were noticed and found and discovered in the 1830s, which is quite a long time ago. So once rubber's vulcanized, which allows it you know, even natural rubber, it means that it doesn't biodegrade in the same way anymore. And so that will persist for a longer time. Because when you get into the synthetic part, which is these complex um, chains, molecular chains um, from the oil and gas industry, they never, ever degrade. They might break into smaller parts, but they are permanently pervasive. So it's part of plastic pollution, but it won't ever disappear. And so I see that when we're talking about, I mean, plastic pollution is in my opinion, one of the greatest problems that we're that we're dealing with is it uh, the it pollutes the air as well as the water as well as the land, and it then invades into all sort of bioorganisms, um, etc. So it's this entirely pervasive problem that we have and we must address. The synthetic rubber in tires is a kind of a, an overlooked area because people think oh rubber natural and yet it's not only in tires but what i feel that by using a tire it unifies everybody on earth really because we're all using something is rolling around whether you're in a very subsistence farming way you're using a wheel to move your stuff around we all know that rubber wears out and it's that factor it wears out but actually what it does is it becomes these other particles around on land until they're washed into the sea but whether we like it or not, if we buy anything from any shop anywhere, you know, it's rolling in on rubber and we're not really addressing it. So in a way for me, when I want to talk about big subjects like sustainability, um, like in particular climate change and in particular its effects on the marine environment, I find it, if I can find a way of looking at something that's a sort of a unifying position and an easy starting point to engage people in thinking about what is going on in the oceans, as well as thinking about their position within everything and what they may or may not want to do. It, it's the, the sort of the gateway into them engaging and moving on on their own then afterwards. You've given them an emotional reaction, an emotional context to, to seeing a piece of work that, that addresses some of these issues by the material, by the look of it, by the feel of it. It's, it's influencing people. So it's one person influencing whoever my audience happens to be. But for one person to have that sort of compound interest effect is quite large. You know, I think that that is the worthwhile factor of having advocacy within a piece if you if you then amplify that reach. So you, you do see your work for the show having that ability to perhaps change people in a way. Is that is that something in, in change their thinking? Do you see that as an artist, as a, as a role for yourself in, in perhaps having using this as a voice to affect and change in people's minds when they see your work? Is that a hope for the work? Yeah, it, it is. It's a hope for the fact that um, pieces of old rubber will then be noticed in a way that they're perhaps not noticed. And that the sense of the fact that your tyres wear out on your own vehicle, what's actually, where is that wear? You know, what happens to it? So it's sort of engaging in the same way that people say they throw things away 
so it's kind of like thinking you can't actually have own anything or have anything I'm really uninterested in what happens when it leaves my front door because something is then going on in, in society isn't it with it so it's, it's kind of m- making material speak in a different way but it's also something that I find it's a very ascetic material for me so it's all black I've tied it together with cable ties as well, which is another form of plastic that is almost like a scourge of all marine areas, just these snipped off cable ties that get left everywhere. So there are two strong visuals about these are problem materials that we need to, um, as a a whole society, we need need to start thinking about how we handle that. But it's also, you know, it's a very ascetic piece. I mean, there's all the printerly marks of the tires themselves, the the different circular shapes as well, which is, you know, I think a very interesting shape, a circular form anyway, because it sort of sits in total opposition to all the angled pieces of geometry. What I've actually done, although I have actually made a shape of something that's recognisable, if you step out of that, it's a fabric, a brand new robust fabric that's incredibly strong, very interesting, I think and creates a very different sensation to encounter it. I can remember sort of wading into the sea and you might be in, you know, a rare sort of area of seagrass and you have this sort of stuff sort of slapping at your, around your sort of legs and things, don't you? You think, oh, what is that? And it's, so the the cable ties are this kind of like frond-like zone above the other thing. So it's sort of, it's almost like an engagement with the sense of, of being under the water as well. That's great, Ros. And I was wondering as a final question, you've talked about the mapping there again, and um, we've spoken uh, a fair bit about the transformatory aspects of the materials, but the mapping also interests me. And I think from what I've read of yours, the um, aspect of psychogeography, and I was wondering if you could just say a small bit about what psychogeography means to you in this work or in your practice more broadly. It's uh, an area that I'm quite interested in as well. Well, there's, there's two things that got wrapped into the the wonderland um, theme of the show i looked up what wandering is with an a and apparently it comes from the old norse word um flaneur Mm. and that's when the french picked it up and they have flaneur which we kind of use but basically flaneur meant to to wander with no purpose and i really like that aspect because i think that when you launch yourself into the process of making with new materials, where you have a sense of what you're going to do, but you're not sure how it's going to work out or what else is going to occur on, on the way, it's almost like the act of making that piece and the positioning of everything sort of embodied that sense of wondering with no purpose. But it's also it suggests that you're alert to what is there and what is going on around you that way. And then with the psychogeography, in a way, it's a phrase, I really like it because it fits with how I, as a sort of a bit of an adventurer around the world, but it fits with what I do when I move about and go to different places. But very literally, it's the exploration of urban environments. I think it's really about emphasising an interpersonal connections that um, happen with places and routes, arbitrary routes. I sort of was thinking, how different is it? I mean, it's, it's not so specifically urban in, in that sense, if I'm taking a whole county like Cornwall. But if we separate out urban and non-urban, we think we're doing the polarising thing again. So I thought, well, I want to take it as a whole and as a whole within all of the mapped geography that we have. 
that we keep explaining to each other by mapping our land and by showing different information all over these maps. I mean, we, we overlay so much onto the same piece of land, the same shape. The sort of psychogeography of it, in a way, I thought, well, we could make that down onto an individual basis as well. So you're walking about, quite often you'll do a circular walk, but it won't, we call it circular, but it's not. It's a, it's a random wandering around and an exploration of something. And I like the fact that there's a sort of a freedom from time then as well, a freedom from measure in the sense of psychogeography, in my, in my way of approaching the words and how they could perhaps be pushed into interesting areas. Yeah, and I think that it's a really interesting point to get to uh, with your work and, and where you've taken us. Is there's been a journey, especially through a particular material that you a material and an idea related to mapping, relating to Cornwall, relating to the world. There is that kind of sense that I feel like I've been on a journey with you and this this investigation, this this uh, the flaneur in that respect, the wandering through material under the ocean, above the ocean, pollution, world events, all of these sort of things. It, it reminds me of that. And I think that's, a, for me, that feels like a satisfying connection to, to is, is that fair for me to say that? Yeah, it's very much what, what I, I sort of feel. I like the wholeness of it all, but, but also the geography that comes into things as well. I mean, cable ties, I mean, cable is a, a marine measurement as well. And I think it's a 10th of a nautical mile and it's sort of hundred fathoms. So it, it's all the language that people will use over things is kind of being um, rolled into the piece, but also played with a little bit as well. Because when we measure anything, it's like actually really, if you jump away from that a little bit, you're talking about a system of values, aren't you? And that's what all our economies are inspired by. And this is a globally traded material. So I enjoy using globally traded materials because it automatically engages with all the communities and their approaches to it. So I like to wrap that whole vision, that overview into it, and yet still then end up with what I consider to be um, really interesting aesthetic appeal of things and and almost I mean the fact that I've got this brand new fabric I find that really exciting but it also then sort of relates to netting and sort of relates to to open um, metal fencing and, and other sort of things that almost like map out a zone so it keeps on rolling back round to that I also particularly like um, mapping and or cartography and using that word because Back in the day when no one had seen anything and you had these adventurers that went out and then brought back this information, you look at all these maps over the years, and I'm talking the centuries as well, and you have the personality of the, of the creator within it. You have the artist's hand, effectively, and you have their, I suppose, their deviation from the job because people put in maps whatever they feel like and they put themselves in maps and they make stuff up quite deliberately they have little encoded things so there was sort of almost like crossword setters have bits of style and personality that other crossword makers would notice mappers have done that so I feel it's that gives you that permission almost that artistic license it's giving that back into the piece as well why shouldn't you you know you are artists go and push boundaries go and discover go and set something up Definitely. Well, I'm really interested in sort of continuing this conversation with you when we get down to Tremonier and see the work. Thank you, Ros Bergen, for joining me. Oh, it's been a real pleasure, Doug. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wonderland Exhibition Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please click subscribe 
You can learn more about the artists in this exhibition through social media, their websites and online at the Royal Society of Sculptors.